John chapter 1, we are looking this morning at verses 14 through 18 as we continue to go through our uh, study of the incarnation and the practical implications of what it means that Christ became flesh, how he answers the most profound questions of the ages, that his coming into this world tackles some of the deep, profound issues of our time. Today, the, the, the topic that was, that, as I put the order together weeks ago, uh, the, the, the topic for today was, is God passive? And, uh, and having the events that played out this week really makes this question very relevant. In fact, it was uh, issues like Friday, the, the, sh- the shooting at the school, that, that made me even put this question down, that there's lots of horrible tragedies in the world. And sometimes people think God is passive, that he's just sitting back doing nothing, and, 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 and that the world's just kind of going on and spinning out of control, and God is just back there not at all doing a thing. But the reality is that God is very active, has been, is, and will be very active in this world, and the key is learning to see his action learning to see what he's doing. God is not passive. And, and the, in the story, the, the accounts that we study at Christmas really show us the activity of what God is doing. And when you see what God is doing, it's the type of things that give you hope when tragedies like Friday happen. And so I'm glad that we have an opportunity to, to study this and to really uh, unpack the heart of this passage here in John in light of what happened and in light of future tragedies that will no doubt take place in this world. Because God is active. And, and, and I was thinking this week a little bit about, uh, in, in a strange sort of way, that, that book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Some of you have read it. Uh, it's, it's a book that really has helped a lot of marriages over the past 20 years because Chapman put out a thesis that there's a variety of different ways that people show love. And sometimes there's conflicts in a marriage because you don't think your spouse is showing you love because you're looking for love the way that you give it. And you might have married somebody who shows love differently. So maybe you're a verbal, demonstrative person and you've married somebody who's not verbal and demonstrative, but they serve. And so you're saying, why don't you tell me you love me? Why don't you tell me you love me? And you're not telling me you love me. You're not being demonstrative enough. And, and, he, and, and he keeps saying, I'm serving. I'm serving. I'm serving. That's what I'm doing. I'm showing you I love you by this way. And so Chapman says, you know, look at the variety of different ways that people show love and you'll see it. And I think the same thing is true with God. God is not passive. He's active. But sometimes we're looking for God to act the way we want him to act. But God is actually acting in a way that is much better than any way we could want Him to act. And the key is, do we see it? And so for the sake of, I hope this isn't being trivial, and I don't mean it trivial. When I wrote it, I realized this really, it appeared trivial when I wrote it in my notes, but I'm going to say it anyways, because I don't mean it trivial. I think if we can look at John 1, 14 through 18, we're going to see God's love language. Now that just sounds all cheesy and kind of weird, and, and I don't want it to sound that way, but, but the point is I want us to see how did God act when he acted? When God chose to engage this world, what did he choose to do? How did he choose to do it so that we can see how God acts? 
And I believe this is the kind of stuff that gives us an immense amount of peace in in this time in the world, immense amount of peace uh, when we have to engage suffering and trials. And so we're going to look at this today. And in fact, we're going to see two things in this passage in John 1, 14 through 18. We're going to see how did God act? First, God entered our box. And we'll talk about what that means. And then second, we're going to see that God engaged our life. He entered and He engaged. God is not passive. God was not passive on Friday when that tragedy occurred. God is active. But the key is, do we see what He's doing? So I want to show this to you today. Let's begin here by looking at just verse 14. Let's just look at the reality that God entered our box. Look at verse 14 with me. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now John has been describing the birth of Jesus, but in a completely different way. Luke records the birth of Jesus by telling us the accounts of what happened. John is trying to describe something so incredible. The first, first 19 or so verses of John... He's actually trying to tell us that that the infinite came to the finite. He's trying to make the point that the eternal God entered the temporal world. That the invisible God became visible. That the supernatural God became natural. These are the types of things he's trying to tell us. So he's trying to explain to us the incarnation. That God became flesh. And it's a really powerful description. He's describing the intensity of what happened. Now, he does it in a very unique way. You can see that in 14, how he says, and the Word became flesh. Now, in the interest of of making this a little bit easier to talk about, the Greek word for word is logos, and I'm going to refer to it as logos there. So I don't say the word word, and I don't sound all repetitive. So when I talk about the word logos, you know I'm talking about the word word. John uses the word logos for a very specific reason. Now, in our culture, we would probably never use the word logos to describe the incarnation. We would use all the words I just used. Divine, eternal, supernatural, these kind of things. We wouldn't use the word logos. But the word logos in that day is the equivalent of the word divine in our day. And the reason why is because it carried a a vast array of definitions to to a non or to a, to a non-Jewish Greek philosopher somebody schooled in Greek philosophy when they heard the word logos what they thought of was the divine order that ruled the world the divine order that ruled the world they believed there was this thing called the logos and the logos was the great idea plato talked about this this great idea that's out there And if we can capture and connect with the great divine, that great idea, we will get into the supernatural realm, into another plane. We will connect ourselves with eternity. And so the logos to a Greek would have been the idea of a supernatural plane. Great ideas, great truth. To a Jew, the the word logos, they thought a little more concretely, and they would have understood that as being the very voice of God. You read through the Old Testament, what do you see? 
Every time God spoke, something happened, right? God said, let there be light. Boom, there was light. God said, cow. Boom, there was a cow. It's just the way God works. When he speaks, things happen. He calls someone, they go. He says, waters part, they part. Waters close, they close. Die, you die. When he speaks, things happen. And so when they were thinking of the divine, if they were going into kind of divine or supernatural talk, they would refer to the logos, and they would say the logos, the voice, the word, the command of God. So you see this idea of logos is the idea of of this supernatural plane. Now John is an evangelist, and he wants people to understand something. What he's trying to say is that supernatural world, that divine world, took on flesh. This is the incredible thought. It isn't that that supernatural world just showed up. They've already had that, right? God showed up in, in fire and in clouds and, and, and burning bushes and things like that. It isn't that. It's that he actually took on flesh. Simple illustration just thinking about my son when he plays with his Legos, puts all his little Lego characters together, creates these little Lego worlds and things like that that go on there. Could you imagine if he actually became a Lego character? Right? Not only is his hands going to go in there and manipulate and move things around, but if he could actually become a Lego character. That's the incarnation. That's what he's saying. It isn't just that his presence was there. A bunch of guys were going, hey, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> I saw it. Seriously, I am not joking. I'm not joking. There were guys on this side of the room over here that were going, okay, I saw that, okay. I'm watching, you're watching me, but I'm watching you. Okay. That's the picture here. He didn't just show up in some sort of presence. He actually took on flesh. He entered humanity. Now the question is, why would the divine Logos take on flesh? Why do we need that? Well, let me try to explain this to you. you. You know intuitively why he had to do this, but let's just put it in a context so we can help explain it to others who, who might struggle with this. We live in a natural world, right? In one sense, I'd like to say this way, we live in a box, and the box we live in is the natural world. And, and we can't necessarily get out of that box. We're fleshly people. And we struggle with the flesh, and we deal with the flesh, and and everything about us, we we live in time and space. I cannot go to the past, and I can't jump ahead to the future. I am right here, right now. I am confined by the bounds of the natural world. I can't fly. I can't live underwater. I'm bound to this world that I'm in, and to to the rules that govern me, and you are as well. Now, when we start thinking about connecting to God, when we start thinking about connecting to some kind of spirituality, and whenever a crisis happens, it is amazing. A lot of people want to cling to God or reach out to God, and and, and, and they're trying to find Him and and see Him. But yet, the hard part is, in our flesh, we can't. It's a struggle for us to connect to the divine. Now, some people have tried to come up with a variety of different ways to connect to God. Some people say, well, the key is this. God is holy, and that's why you're never going to connect to him. So you've got to measure up. You've got to clean up your life. You've got to do some works. You've got to do some things. You've got to start being this and stop doing this and start acting this way. And pray this many times a day and do this and do that. Right? And you've got to measure up to God. 
Now, the, 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 on one side, that, that theology is acknowledging God is holy and you haven't measured up to it, but what it's doing is it's assuming you can measure up to God and it's not taking your sin seriously enough. So then other people, they've come along and they, and they have this thought, well, hey, we are sinners and so the issue of life is self-denial. I'm just going to kind of start beating myself and denying myself of all pleasures of life and, and I'm going to go into this kind of monkish state just get, get rid of it all. And once I get rid of it all, I'll measure up to God. Or at least I'll deal with my sin. But the hard part is, it's still devaluing the holiness of God. And the reality is that we can never get completely unattached from this world. Recently, my wife and I were out for dinner somewhere, and uh, our, our server came over, and our server had a tattoo. Whenever I see a tattoo, I always ask, what's a tattoo mean? And this particular tattoo... Uh, was a Buddhist saying, and, uh, and it was about, you know, not being attached to this world. Buddhism, you know, just kind of, we're going to just go completely self-denial and completely detach from this world. And so the server was explaining a little bit of her philosophy of, of being unattached. So the time for the bill came, and, uh, and I'm paying the bill, and I'm putting the money in the bill, and I, I smile, I say to Heather, you know, Heather, our server was really a Buddhist. She wouldn't ask for a tip. Right? I mean, seriously, she, she'd be paying us to eat here. Right? Get unattached. Get rid of it all. You know, right? I mean, we'd be coming in, she'd be giving, giving me the food and her money and everything she owned. But somehow she wanted the tip. Doesn't make sense. The worldview collapsed there. See, we, we never ultimately get to self-denial. No one wants to completely deny everything. We can't get there. You see, that doesn't connect us to the supernatural. Some people think, well, okay, if works don't do it or self-denial doesn't do it, maybe it's rituals that'll do it. I'll become a spiritual person. I'll just start lighting candles and genuflexing certain times of the day and doing all these spiritual rituals. But again, we still can't break out of our box. So if God is outside the box and we're trying to, to break out to get him and we can't, we're stuck, right? That's what John 1 is about. John is speaking to people who are very religious on all three of these fronts, on works, self-denial, and rituals. He's got all of that as his audience, and he's saying, do you realize something? God is not telling you you've got to work your way out of your box. God is not telling you you've got to deny your way out of your box. God is not telling you you've got to ritualize yourself out of the box. God entered your box, is what he's saying. He came into your world. That's what he's doing. He's entering your world. And he's not just entering your world. He's taking on your flesh, not in the sinful sense, in the earth, in the physical sense. He is going to place himself in this world. And not only that, notice what he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was going to live, the literal translation be he tabernacled. He set up a tent. He dwelt here. He dwelt here. He lived with us. You see, God's not passive. He's active. He pitched a tent. He set up his home here. And he lived in our world. And guess what? We have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. The one part of God we could never see. Remember Moses? Show me your glory. God says, no. I show you my glory. You'll die. You can't see my glory. Isaiah gets to heaven, sees the, the smoke in the temple of the glory of God, and he wants to be killed. He says, woe is me, kill me now, God. I 
can't stand your glory. Send me to hell is what he's asking. Get me out of here. And yet, Jesus enters our box. And then he reveals God's glory. Whenever you hear the word glory, here's how you understand that. The glory of God is the sum total of all of his attributes. All that God is. So if we were to say this in in our own terms, we would say that the eternal supernatural divine took on a natural flesh, made his home here, and revealed to us the attributes of God. It's all that God is. Revealed to us what we could have never seen. And he says that we get to see it in the fullness of this nature, because notice the way verse 14 goes. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now that can be a little confusing for people. Some cults like to say that Jesus was um, born, was an offspring of the Father, because they see the word Son there, and they think to themselves, well, Son must mean child. But Son, some of you have begotten of the Father in your translations, if you have an older one. That word can mean one of two things. It can mean one of two things. It can mean a child born, a, a, a child that, that came as a result of conception. But it can also mean a something else. It can also mean nature. Now the context is going to have to determine which one it is, and in a few minutes we're going to see the context is very clear. John is very clear that it's nature that he's referring to. What it means is this. That he, re- he revealed to us the glory, the glory of the Father, because he shares in his nature. That's what he's saying. He shares in his nature. I, I know this. There are times uh, when, when uh, my daughters will be in the kitchen, and I'll be across the, the other part of the house, and I'll look and I'll think one of them is Heather. Just by the way they turn or their hair or something like that. They sometimes have a look that looks like her. Why? Because they share a nature. If you have a child, you can see your, your nature in them. Some of that we have to apologize for, right? <laughs> Sorry, you got that from me. <laughs> right? But there it is. We see it, and what he's saying is he's revealing the glory of God. Why? Because he shares in the nature. He shares in that nature. We're gonna, like, I'll show you in a second again that, that it, it will be... Uh, It's nature and not birth. But then he goes on even further to unpack it even further. We've seen glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Not only was it his nature, it was his nature that was overflowing in grace, which is blessing. So he engaged our box to bring us blessing we don't deserve. And he engaged our box to bring us truth, which is the wisdom of God, which is what all spirituality is aiming for, right? Everybody's trying to be spiritual out there. It's trying to aim to be wise, trying to understand the mystery of the ages. And he's saying he's come to bring you the blessing that you need and the understanding of truth that you need so that you would be wise. God has entered your box. He's revealed himself. He's revealed his grace. He revealed his wisdom in Jesus Christ. He's not passive, he's active. Now, in order to make sure that we know that he's talking about nature and not birth, notice verse 15. 
This is why John, the author, puts this little statement about John the Baptist in here. Notice verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Okay, now, now what does that saying mean? Well, in order to kind of comprehend this statement, you have to, first of all, understand a little bit about culture in that day. Uh, the culture of that day is a lot different from our culture. Our culture, we value youth. So if we say something is old, it's not good. If we say something is new, we say it's better, right? So always looking for the new guy. The new guy's got fresh ideas. The new guy is going to bring us into the, to the newness of youth because youth is valued in our culture. Old is not valued in our culture. And so, so in our world, we, we think new is better. In that culture, if you were older, you were better. And the person who came on the scene first was always valued over the person who came on the scene second. John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus in terms of their physical birth. So from an earthly perspective, John the Baptist was born. He came on the scene ahead of Jesus. His ministry began before Jesus. So he's out there doing his ministry. Everyone knew about John. They all knew about his ministry. Then Jesus comes on the scene. So from an earthly perspective, who would be more important? John the Baptist would be. Because he's older. He started his ministry before Jesus did. So John the author says, but remember what John the Baptist said. This is he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me. So John, when he was preaching, his sermon went like this. Hey guys, there's a preacher who's going to come after me. But he's more important than me, even though I came first and I'm older. Why is he more important? Because he was before me. You see his point? How could he be before him? John was born before him. John was conceived six months before him. What, what is John the author's point? John the author's point is by pulling this out, he's trying to show us John the Baptist said, listen, there's one who's coming after me who technically in one sense he's six months younger than me, but in another sense he existed long before I did because he's God. He's eternal. And he's more important than me. So John, you can see, why would John the author put this here? He's trying to tell us, when I say son, I'm not talking about birth. I'm talking about nature. He shares in the nature of God. He's revealing his nature. There's the issue. See, God entered our box. And when he entered our box, he came into our box to reveal to us God, to reveal to us his grace, to reveal to us his wisdom, and to show us that which we could never see. See, spirituality is not going to come by me measuring up to God. Spirituality is not going to come by me self-denying to the point where I, I do, get uh, disconnected from all attachments. And spirituality doesn't come by lighting candles and praying and genuflexing at certain times. That's not spirituality. The reality is God entered my box to reveal to me himself and to give me blessings. To engage my life, which is the second point. Let's look at this here. God engaged our life. You know, when we think about spirituality, when we think about how do we process God, we think about his actions, we have to realize there there are two things that we really need in this world. One is we need grace. Really, all religion is about dealing with sin. 
dealing with our plight, dealing with evil, dealing with this presence. Right? I'm, I'm either de- dealing with sin by trying to stop it or trying to deny myself or trying to do some kind of ritual cleansing. But the reality is that all of this, I'm, I'm needing some form of, of forgiveness, and so I need that. And the second thing that I need is I need some kind of divine connection, some kind of spiritual relationship, some kind of insight to be able to live in this world. And what John is going to tell us is he said, listen, God entered your box. He took on flesh so that you could experience grace and have this divine connection. Let's look here. Look at how we experience grace. Look at verse 16. For from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now you see what he's doing. He's trying to explain this. He's trying to explain. This is this explanation in verse 16 is explaining this incarnation. And he's saying, for from His fullness. When he says fullness there, now you know what he means. The nature of God. That's what he's saying. So God took on human flesh. So here's God walking on human flesh. And out of all of that divinity, what have we received? More grace than we could ever use. There's the hope, right? The hope for restoration. The hope for peace. The hope for forgiveness. The hope for, 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 for being able to get sustain, uh, you know, sustaining endurance to get through this world. Grace upon grace, when you see that grace upon grace, what it's saying is is more and more and more. It's a continual flow of grace. Now, how is this grace to be understood? Look at the way John unpacks this grace even further. He says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He said, now, Moses, he came and he gave us the law. Now, what is the law? The law is the ideal standard. This is exactly the ideal. In fact, we could look at it this way in this kind of illustration. Here we are in Illinois. And let's just say I pinpoint an exact address in Southern California. And I say, you need to go to 27503 West such and such Boulevard in Orange County, California. And you need to go now. That, that could be a little overwhelming, Right? Because I could tell you what you need to do. And if I were to say, you need to go now or you'll die, that, that would be overwhelming, wouldn't it? That's what the law does. The law says God is holy. And if you are not holy, you will be killed. That's it. God only accepts holiness in his presence. And if you, don't, if you are not holy, there is no hope for you. Because God is holy and just, and you have to be holy and just. The law establishes that. But what comes through Jesus? What comes through Jesus? So the law told us, it told us, this is the address you need to get to. But Jesus gives you what? What does he say there? For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came to Jesus. So the law tells us, you've got to get to this address in Orange County. You know what Jesus comes? He gives you the car, he gives you the unlimited gasoline, and he gives you the GPS to get there. That's the idea. He's not doing away with the law. He's giving you the way to do it. So rather than saying, here's God's standard, you better measure up, and if you don't measure up, you're a loser. You're going to die a painful death in hell. Jesus enters our box and says, listen, that's your truth. That is your end. 
But I'm going to come into your world and I'm going to give you grace, which means the ability to serve God. And I'm going to give you truth, which means the understanding of how to serve God. And I'm going to do all of this so that you can have the grace you need to live a spiritual being in this world. I'm not asking you to measure up. I'm not asking you to become a monk. I'm not asking you to do a bunch of rituals. I'm coming into your world and providing the way for you to have the car and the gas and the GPS to get to that address, to get to where God wants you to be. God told us what He wanted, and He provided a way for us to get there in Jesus Christ. God's not passive. He is active. He's active. And this grace and truth isn't just about an end result when we die. This is the way that we find our healing and our hope and our peace and and our comfort in this world. This is why when tragedies happen, we pray. Why do we pray? Because God has brought grace upon grace in this world, and He can lift up people who are lowly. He can bring peace to those who are in torment. He can bring restoration to those who've had their hearts ripped out. God has entered our box to do that. To do that. To bring grace and truth. To bring understanding. To bring wisdom. See, God's not passive. He's active. He's at work. He's brought this grace upon grace. But not only do we need this grace, you know what else we need? We need some kind of divine relationship. We need truth. We need to, we need to see God. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So He says, now no one's ever seen God. We know that, right? When He would show up in the Old Testament, He just showed up as smoke and fire, and, 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 and even that terrified people. No one's ever seen Him. That's why we call Him the invisible God. But this God has been made known in Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the full representation of God. In fact, you could translate that verse 18 a little differently where it says he has made him known. You could say it this way. He's explained him to us. You could you could translate it this way too. He's exposited him. It, it means this that 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 God is this infinitely huge being and, and 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 you read about him in the Old Testament and you see his actions and he seems huge and big and confusing. And, and in one sense, it seems like he's being nice to some people he should kill. In the other sense, it seems like he's killing people that, 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 that uh, you should be nice to, right? I mean, you got one guy over here with a bunch of wives and, 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 and being a, you know, killing a bunch of people. And God says, oh, yeah, you're my chosen vessel. Then you got this other guy over here who's walking along, and the Ark of the Covenant's about ready to fall off a cart, and all he wants to do is catch it, and he dies. It's confusing, how do we understand this God? How do we understand all that we read? John is telling us, Jesus explained them to us. God was not going to leave us up to our own veiled attempts to read those 39 books of the Old Testament and go, I don't know what to do with all this. It seems confusing. God says, I'm going to enter your box, not only give you grace, not only give you truth, not only reveal myself, I'm also going to explain myself to you in him. So when you read through the Gospels, 
you're not only learning about Jesus, you're now having a context to understand all of the Old Testament, all that's been revealed of God in the past. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to put it all in perspective for us. This is the whole reason why you cannot have God and understand God outside of Jesus. That's why you can't have a relationship with God, the Father, outside of Jesus. That's why he's central, and that's why so many of of the false teachers attack the doctrine of Jesus. Because he's the explanation of God. If they can remove Jesus and redefine Jesus, then they can take some of the things that appear confusing and twist them all the more. Because Jesus is the one who explains it to us. In fact, the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. He says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, has spoken to us by His Son. And then he wants to really make it make, understand how big this is. Whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. Lots of prophets, lots of voices in the Old Testament, lots of means, lots of, lots of communication God had. It's all good, but now in these last days, Jesus is the voice of God. He's the one that is to tie and make it all make sense. Tie in all of that teaching and collect it all and to interpret it for us so we can understand the Father, that we can understand truth. Do you realize that God is not up there trying to give us a bunch of riddles and a bunch of just complicated things that we're just going to make it harder and harder and harder. He's bringing us through some kind of weird, random little maze to get us all dizzy because he can do it, because he's God. No, he's saying, I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to reveal my glory in full in Jesus Christ, and he will explain me to you. You realize something. We've talked about this in the past, but sometimes it's easy to think that the people in the Old Testament had it easier than us, Right? I mean, wouldn't it be true that, you know, it'd be so cool, we, we think, that I could stand here and all of a sudden a voice would come out of this flower pot and say, Steve, this is what I want you to say. And I'd say, okay, the flower pot just told me this is what I should say to you. Right? Because you, it seemed like that's how God worked in the Old Testament, right? All of a sudden, boop, something would catch on fire, start talking to you, tell you what you want you to do. Okay. And we say, man, I'd love to live in that day. When smoke would talk to you and plants would talk to you, donkeys would talk, all kinds of things. It'd be so much cooler because it would seem clearer, wouldn't it? Where should I go? Oh, look, there's, there's, there's fire. Let's go follow it. You know, there's smoke. Let's go follow it, right? You think that that's easier. But it's not. If we could go back in time, which we can't, but if we could, I'm certain as those Old Testament saints would be going, I wish I knew what this meant. I don't get it. What are you doing, God? You see, what we have is we have it all defined in Christ. He's explained himself. It's all there. You want to know the Father, you want to know his plan, you want to know his purposes. You have got four Gospels that lay out all of Jesus. Then you've got 20 plus epistles that unpack those four gospels for you. They're going to put it all together so that you can see how Jesus explained the Father, explained his purposes, explained his plan, laid out the future of the world, laid out your hope, laid out what he's doing, gave us insight into the mystery of the ages. Peter tells us we know things that the prophets had no clue about when they were writing the prophecies. 
And then he said things which angels are looking at going, I don't understand. We have access to the insight of the divine because the Logos took on flesh and revealed God. Is God passive? No. God entered our box and He engaged our life with grace and with truth and with wisdom. And He explained the heart of God, the purposes of God. It's all there in Jesus Christ. And so the answer to the ages is to bring people to the person of Jesus. And to know His life, to know His teaching. This is why the Great Commission says, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You've you've got to disciple these people in my words. Because I'm explaining the Father to them. If you bypass Jesus, you're going to be walking around in the dazed confusion of the Old Testament saints. Not fully getting it. Not fully getting it. And not able to get there. Because it's through Jesus that you get the car and the gas and the GPS to get there. Is God passive? No, He's active. So, Jesus came into this world, and I think there are four things that we pull from this text that I want you to see here. Jesus came into this world to reveal the glory of the Father. That which no one could ever see, He revealed. That part of God's character, His nature, the elements that Moses wanted to see, we get to see in Jesus. The element that Isaiah was terrified to see, we get to see in Jesus. We get to see the nature of God. Jesus came into this world to do a second thing, to give us the grace to stand. To give us the grace to stand. I'm so grateful. I mean, I could just stop here. That God's plan was not work or self-denial or rituals. These are the ways you break out of your box. I'm so glad that that wasn't it. Instead, he said, I'm going to send me into your box and I'll dispense grace upon you. Grace because the punishment was covered on the cross, right? Jesus was going to take the punishment. We can be the objects of His grace. And He's come to reveal that grace upon grace. Third thing, Jesus came to give us truth to follow. When I study His words and I study His teaching, I know where to go. If most of our life is spent ignoring the teaching of Christ, then most of our life will be spent constantly one one bob under the water. We're just, the head's just kind of bobbing in and down, up and down in the water. We're never going to make it. Because we don't possess enough wisdom. Humanity doesn't possess enough wisdom to answer the questions that go on in this world. There's not enough wisdom. There's not enough hours in counselor's office to give you enough wisdom to get you through the trials of this life. God has revealed truth in Jesus. You devote your life to knowing what He said, and you will be connected to the wisdom of the ages. He's revealed this truth. And fourth, He's come to reveal an incredible thing here. I was just trying to decide if I want to say more on that other point. Sorry. 
I paused. Did the fourth point come up already? Good. To connect us to the divine. We'll go there. Sorry. A little mental editing going on in my brain. To connect us to the divine. One of the greatest things about Christ is that we can be connected to the divine. God is not saying, I'm up here, jump higher. I'm coming down to you. Connecting you to me. Now, let me give you four applications of this. I want to give you four applications. I want to arm you with four things. As a result of these truths, there are four things that we need to have in our pocket this week. Because I believe God is going to give you an opportunity to share one of these four things this week. I really do. I believe with the events going on, with holidays coming up, all kinds of things happening, there will be opportunities to talk. If this is true, that Jesus has come to give us these four things, how does that apply then? Let me show you this. Let me apply it. Let's apply it first to the suffering. If someone is suffering, what I can do is I can recognize, I can show people God's mercy in Jesus. I can show people God's mercy in Jesus. If you are suffering, I can say to the person who's suffering, do you realize the compassion that God has? Do you realize that right now He has the ability to lift you up? He has the ability to sustain you. He has the ability to wrap His arms around you. He is so merciful. He is not in heaven punishing you right now. He's ready to lift you up out of this pit. And I want to show you Jesus. I want to show you how Jesus, how He treated a woman who was caught in adultery that everyone's about ready to kill, and he sent away her accusers. He protected them. And he said, you're not condemned. Get up. That's how merciful God is. At her moment of deepest crisis, Jesus was there bringing mercy and grace. If you want to see the mercy of the Father, I want to show it to you in Jesus. We can bring that to someone who's suffering. What about somebody who's lost? I don't know where I'm going. I don't understand the point of life. I can show them that Jesus has revealed truth. He's revealed the way. That if we study the life of Christ, we can learn how to live. You don't have to be lost in this world. You don't have to be be, be lost. It's incredible truth. You get direction when you study Christ. How about those that are disconnected? They feel disconnected. They feel spiritually disconnected. I feel disconnected from God. I feel disconnected from my family. I feel disconnected from everything. I'm kind of just feeling disconnected. Guess what? I can be established with God through Jesus Christ. I can be connected to God. I don't have to be disconnected anymore. Jesus Christ has made a way for me to have union with the Father that will go on for all eternity. What about if you're just stuck? I call it stuck. Stuck is somebody who's just like, I'm just living in the now. I just feel like I just get up, I live in the now, and then tomorrow I live in the next now, and then the next now, and then the next now. That's all there is in my life. Jesus reveals the glory of the Father. All that God is, all that God is doing, His immenseness that pulls us out of the moment and lifts us into the divine. Now, you don't know this, but I have been praying for you this week that God would bring somebody in one of those categories in your life this week. And I've been praying it, and I believe God will answer that prayer. 
Because I want you to share how great Jesus is. God entered our box. He's taken care of our suffering, our lostness, our disconnectedness, our living in the moment. He's done it all in Jesus. Christmas is an incredible story, an incredible account of God entering into our world and taking on flesh. And so I'm praying that you have the opportunity to share this truth with someone. Now what we're going to do by way of closing, I'm going to pray here in just a minute, but then we're going to sing when I'm done praying, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And it's such a familiar Christmas song that you just might start singing it and not thinking about the words. The words of O Little Town of Bethlehem Put into music and poetry, John 1, 14 through 18. There are little phrases in here that will jump out at you when you begin to realize what the author is saying. The hope and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The incarnation has come. Grace and truth has come. And everything that we have is all right here in you, Jesus. Right, this whole song really puts into a beautiful picture what John has is, 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 is outlined in this, script, in this text. And so when we sing this, I want you to attune yourselves to the lyrics. Let them sink in, let them take residency, and sing out of a, a depth of worship to God. Just, just sing it out. It's a familiar song, but sing it out to the glory of God because I believe that it is a great and fitting conclusion to this passage. So would you stand with me? I'm going to close us in prayer, and then we're, we're going to sing this song together in praise and worship to our God. Let's sing, or let's pray. I mean, Father, it's incredible for me to consider the fact that you entered our box. You came into this world to solve our problem. You didn't call us to step out on our own. But you came in with grace and truth. You revealed the Father. connected us to Him. You've given us access to the divine. You've explained it all to us. You've put it in perspective. Lord, You are not passive. You are active. May we see this love and this action. And Lord, I pray specifically this week, that for every single person in this room, whether they're five years old or whether they're a hundred years old, God, that you would bring someone in their life that is either suffering or lost or disconnected or stuck, and that you would give us the courage to share the good news. You entered our box, you took on flesh. You revealed glory. You revealed Your way so that we can find hope and grace and truth and salvation. It is true that all of the hopes and fears of all of humanity are met right here at this moment of the Incarnation. God, give us the courage to share it. That we might announce this world the glory of the birth of Christ. It's in His name I pray. Amen.